0: Amen. Amen. Be seated, church. Don't worry, we'll have lots of worship time coming up here in a little bit. Uh, a chance to respond to the whole series. I do want to start this morning, though, by saying Happy Mother's Day. Um, I, I was blessed with a, with a wonderful mom. Um, and But I, I was giving thought to this this morning. It's been years and years since I've lived anywhere near my mom. Uh, but I've never been without moms. And one of my favorite thing about what God did in sending Jesus is that he didn't just send Jesus to be our savior for us to to believe in him and, and receive him and have life and then send us on our own. But that Jesus went to work creating the family of God and creating the church. And and we know from personal stories of Jesus, he cares about moms greatly. Uh, We know the the story of him uh, healing Peter's mom, and our mother-in-law was there. And then his own mom from the cross he's worried about. We know that moms are special to Jesus. And I think moms play a unique role in the church to the degree that I think church is filled with all kinds of different moms. I know that when I got to college uh, and and started working at a at a little country church. Um, I was never without moms, uh, that there were ladies in the church and families in the church that invited me in to come do my laundry at their house and cook a morning, uh, Sunday afternoon roast, and uh, it was always available, and, and we look back, Amy and I, our story so much, every stop where God has taken us, uh, he has put people in the church that had just a mother's love for us, and they were all different stages of life, and I can go all the way back to my childhood and know ladies in my church growing up that never had children, yet to me, me they were mom figures and I learned so much about who God was through these women in the church and and ladies there are elements to God that we would never know unless we learned it through you right Uh, that that both man and woman are made in the image of God and we get the full picture of that when we we understand both men and women so women in the church thank you for the way you mother all of us we uh we love you death happy mother's day awesome Don't stop. We all need it very much, please. I got to brag on this first service, so I'll brag on it now. Uh, they're still here in the, in the courtyard making their, their way out. But several months ago in a sermon, I mentioned a, a young mom uh, who was pregnant, was on vacation. Uh, we had a connection uh, with them. They were from Indianapolis. They were on vacation out here over spring break, had a complication, had to go to the hospital, and was told she would not get to go back home to Indianapolis. She would have to stay out here in San Diego uh, and, and bring the baby to term here bedridden that entire time. Well, uh, God has been moving big time, and she was here this morning. Uh, Her name is Megan Estelle. She's out in the courtyard, and she just got news that she gets to go back to Indianapolis tomorrow, and so she's awfully excited. It's very cool. Um, And so her her other two kids are here, her parents are here, they're all excited. What an awesome Mother's Day gift for that family, but it's always fun to brag on God. When God doesn't listen to doctors and does his own thing, Is really kind of cool, right? Um, love that, and so wanted to brag on that. I know many of you have been praying for her uh, and thinking about her and her family, so uh, very excited about that. Well, uh, the sermon this morning is not all moms, sorry, it's about Jesus, Um <laughs> He gets all the sermons, uh, but I think it's on a topic that, that moms can can relate to. We're in this series, if you haven't been with us, called The, the Elephant in Our Soul, uh, in My Soul, which is a weird title for a series. I totally get that, uh, but it, it's a build on the phrase that the elephant in the room, That that topic... That we know is obvious, that we ought to address, that we don't want to address because it's awkward. And so we, we try to ignore it and act like it's not there. You've all had those type of situations and relationships. But I think spiritually speaking, we have elephants in our soul. Things that are inside of us that we have experienced, hurts, disappointments that, that need to be addressed. But because of the awkwardness of having to give it attention and, and think about it and recall, we just try to ignore it and move on. And the results of that can be toxic and for our, our joy, can be toxic for our faith. We started two weeks ago looking at, at the elephant of, of, of unforgiveness. This, when you experience a hurt and somebody has hurt, you can't live on this side of heaven and not be hurt at some point And not have to forgive at some point. Some of us have major wounds and we don't want to forgive. We don't, we don't want to let that person off the hook. We, we think they deserve uh, our anger at them. And so we hold on to this unforgiveness and it festers within us and it creates bitterness and it creates anger and has all sorts of results in relationships beyond that. Psychologists often call bitterness the most toxic of all human emotions. And it just erodes at your relationships. And, and so we, we talked about how that person may not deserve forgiveness, but neither do we. The whole message of the gospel is that God pours out forgiveness on us, even though we don't deserve it. And we're called to return that in others. And so in the power of Jesus' grace, I've been able to walk through with several of you and hearing your stories of hurts that you've experienced and, and what it's like to begin letting go of, of of that within you and the forgiving of those people, and which is powerful stuff. If you if you didn't listen to that sermon, I'd encourage you to go back and catch it uh, if that's speaking down into you. Last week we looked at disappointment, and particularly disappointment with God. Uh, Because who do we turn to when the person that we're mad at is God himself? When we don't like the way that something turned out, when we would rather him have done something different and he didn't do it. He didn't ask for our advice. He does it his own way. And our, when his timing doesn't match up with our timing and we deal with this disappointment. And and so oftentimes we, we just leave it undealt with because we don't know what to do with that. Or we think we, we can't tell God that we're mad at him. He might be mad at us in return if we do that. So we leave it lie in our soul. And, and, and it doesn't need... Elephants make terrible pets, right? Like they make a mess of things. And so you leave that in there and it just... It has its way with with our faith. And so we saw last week in the Psalms that actually there's multiple examples in Scripture of, of people being real with God. Of, of being very honest with God, of, of being upset with him, and God desires that honesty from us. And it's in that honesty that he begins to deal with this. He may not leave us in that place of being upset with, he might deal with, but it, it's in that, he would prefer us to be honest and real than to fake our religion and go on and out with the real relationship. So again, if you didn't hear that last week, I would encourage you to catch up. This week, we'll we'll bring an end to the series and we're going to look at, at something that I think all of us deal with in some capacity, and that's worry. Worry and, and anxiety. Um, and I know that, that moms in particular, I think, um, experience a level of worry that, that, that us as dads sometimes have trouble to connect with. I think God blesses moms with an empathy for their kids on a level that dads... We kind of feel like jerks that we don't have that level of empathy, right? Uh, I got to experience that in Amy and, and the move and, and all the changes and just her, her empathy for her kids. And, you know, the dad side of me is like, rub dirt in it. You'll, you'll be good. Keep on going, right? Get up. Yeah. <laughs> and they needed a, a tender mom to love on them, and they had one. Yet that empathy oftentimes, when, when things get chaotic, can turn into deep worry for your kids, and deep anxiety for your kids. But moms aren't the only ones that struggle with worry. Across the room, worry is something that all of us at some point or another have to deal with. What, when we don't know what, what tomorrow holds, when there are situations that are far beyond our control, I imagine each of us knows that emotion of that, uh, that weight of anxiety just leaning in on you, and you don't know what the solution is, you don't know what it's going to be. And so we oftentimes struggle with 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 how to deal with this with in faith because worry has a way of highlighting a highly uncomfortable question for christians and that's this do you trust god do you trust god notice i didn't say do you believe god do you believe in god i I think belief in god and trusting god are two total different questions right Oftentimes, we can believe in him, but we have great trouble trusting him. We know we ought to. We sing the songs of trusting him, and yet worry has a way of highlighting, of going, nope, not in this area. I actually, God, don't know if you know what you're doing right now, right? And it it becomes a challenge. But again, kind of like last week, who do we turn to when it's God that we're struggling trusting. And and so what happens is I think we just don't deal with that question at all. And instead we sit in the worry of all that. And again, it festers. And it has a way of just sapping our joy out of life because we are so anxious and so worried about what might be that we can't enjoy what is all around us, right? And so this morning we're going to walk through dealing with anxiety. But as I, as I opened up scripture and and wrestled with the different topics. There are multiple places in Scripture where anxiety and worry is dealt with because it's such a common human emotion that we experience. And so I decided that that instead of just picking one of them, I picked three of them. And we're going to have a little mini sermonette on each of these Scripture passages because I think each of them highlight different reasons for our anxiety. And at the end of all of this, we're just going to have a time of worship. Where we take up God on his promise and we allow him to step in and begin to do some things in our soul and free us from those anxieties. So that's where we're headed this morning. Let me say a prayer for us and and then we'll get started on the first of the sermon. God, we come to you this morning having sung praises to you. Opening our mouths and and asking for heaven to come down to, to declare how amazing your grace is. To say, Jesus, you are worthy. And now, God, we come before you, and we are asking in Jesus' name for you to stir amongst us, for you to have your way here, that we might meet with you this morning, that the end goal be that when we leave this place, we we trust you more, we love you more, God. And so we're asking for you to tear down the walls of defenses that we try to put up, God, of uh, we pray that you tear down the walls of pride that we try to put up and act like everything's okay, God. And you step in in your mercy and your grace and your power and you speak to us. May we leave this room more in love with you than when we came in. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's start at the first place. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Very famously in the, in the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, Jesus deals with worry straight out. Um, Jesus preaching this message in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, we'll carry it to verse 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. I love how easily he says that, like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll do that. I'll not worry. Um, (laughs) Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body and what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Uh, years ago, Amy and I were on a flight from Dallas to Seattle, and we had a layover in in denver and on the leg from from dallas to denver uh amy sat on on one side of the aisle i said on the other side of the aisle because i need to be able to put my legs out because i'm gigantic like that and and so i'm wrapped around the this uncomfortable seat um and i'm one of those guys you don't want to fly next to because i'm real broad-shouldered as well you know and so there's a there's an elderly lady in the in the middle seat beside me who we sit down and she informs me quickly that she's never flown before I said, okay. And she said her son had bought her a ticket to come to Denver to see her grandbabies. And so she overcame it and she's going to Denver to see her grandbabies. I said, okay. And so as soon as we begin to take off... She reaches over, grabs my hand and says, baby, I'm scared. And it <laughs> begins to hold on to me. And she has my arm like in this death lock just holding on to me. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and so I'm like, it's okay. She puts her head and she's like crying and like the snot crying all over my arm. Amy is crying, laughing over beside her, just letting me have it. And so here we go. We take off. So we get up in the air and we're flying and she kind of calms down and she's like, sorry about that. I was like, oh, it's okay. we start talking. She goes, just so you know, I'm gonna need you again when we land. <laughs> so, <laughs> we got that. We got that. I'll take care of you. And same thing. We land, she's cuddling into me, and I'm like cuddling with a stranger, she's worried. It's awesome. We land. And then I let her out and and she goes in front, and we get up, and you know how the pilot comes out of the little pilot's cabin, whatever you call that, the cockpit, and, and uh And greets people, she stops and gives him this death stare, this like, she w- was drilling holes into him like, I hate you. I, I, you and she gets off, and she's mad. You could feel the heat. And she was scared, and it was that pilot's fault. Never mind that he'd been flying for years. He does this every day. Uh, but she was scared, and it was his fault because, frankly, she didn't trust him to do his job well, right? And she had language that I didn't know elderly ladies could have. It was awesome. I think, <laughs> Grandma needs to wash her mouth out right now. <laughs> this is bad. She was mad. And I, I bring all that up to say this that there is a direct correlation with our trust of God and the peace we experience with God. And frankly, many of us, if we are honest, don't really trust God to do what he says he will do. And so, in the absence of that trust, almost like a sliding scale, when trust goes down, worry and anxiety goes up. And we just struggle with the pilot. Oh, we... We believe he's there. We, we, we have enough faith to think that. We just think at times he's really bad at his job. And look at, look at the promise, though, that Jesus is making. And this is no small promise. Jesus says, the next time you're outside and you're looking at the birds or you see all the flowers right now, ask yourself, if God will clothe the flowers that way and feed the birds, how much more will he take care of you, Jesus asks, because you are so much more valuable than birds in the air and flowers in the field. And yet if he takes care of them, will he not take care of your needs, he asks. He says, instead, you run and you toil and you work, but does not God know that you need those things? And then he ends on this beautiful promise, so seek first his kingdom and he will take care of you. And yet we often struggle because we don't believe that. I don't know if you will take care of me, God. It doesn't feel like you're going to take care of me. I can't see how you are going to take care of me. And, and we struggle in that. And we, we, how, how, God, are you going to provide a way where there is no way? And, and, and we, we wrestle with him, taking him up on, on this word of, of does God really provide? Does he really move? Can God really do what he says he's going to do? Can he? What do you think? Can God do the miraculous? Because if you say no to that, but you claim to believe in Jesus, you have a problem. Because the whole story of Jesus is that Jesus is the walking miraculous, right? That he overcame death itself. And that our living God now comes with this ability to provide for us. And so the question is, can we trust Jesus to do what he said he would do? Looking at his people said, I will take care of you. I got to celebrate this with with growth group this week. Uh, our second week of our growth group And uh, so we're all getting to know one another And first week one of our one of our couples Just very openly and uh, vulnerable Just let us know hey they have a job But it's a contract uh, job that sometimes Works there sometimes work isn't Depending on the contract and they're going through a season Where work wasn't there and three kids Having trouble just making sure That food so we prayed as a, as a growth Group to hey God would you provide Work and then this week we get to celebrate Because out of the blue a phone call Is, is had and there's work and and food is on the table, and things are there. God can make a way where there seems like there is is no way, right? Do you believe that? You guys got to wake up. (laughs) Because if you don't believe that God can do the miraculous, then why are we praying anyways, right? And this is ultimately the challenge. Because we work and toil and get after it because we're scared that God may not do what he says he's going to do. And I want you to hear me that there's nothing wrong with hard work. In fact, the New Testament makes the, the claim that Christians ought to be some of the hardest working people there are because of our our gratitude for God providing us with health, and God providing us with job, that that our work ethic is a way to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. That people ought to see us and say, oh, they're working so hard. What is going on with that? That's some of the best employees I have, or that's the the best agent I've ever had, or that's the best teacher I've ever had. And the work ethic that we have gives us the opportunity to point to Jesus. Work ethic is a beautiful thing when it's done with right motives as a worship act to God. But if with wrong motives worship is not there, instead work ethic can become a terrible thing and become idolatry itself. Because what happens when we don't have trust of God is that we are working to provide for ourselves. And we are getting after it of, of, I'm praying for God to do something, but I don't really think he's going to do something. So I'm going to try to force his hand and I'm going to get out. And we go to bed every night with the weight of, I have to do for myself. And like a big elephant leaning on us in our soul, that weight of anxiety is on us and we feel it. And the problem is, we feel it because we have taken up the seat as provider for our family. When there is a capital P provider in this universe, and his name isn't Shelton, and his name isn't whatever your name is, his name is is God. And when we pray, do we trust that he will do what he says he will do? That he'll provide. That doesn't change our work ethic. I'm not saying don't work hard, but I'm saying work hard knowing that he's the provider. I, uh, at 13, when, when my parents were going through the divorce, um, it wasn't just the hurt of, of the family splitting and all that happened there. But we also went through a terrible financial crisis of that season, which often comes along with divorce. And my dad lost his job, and he had moved out and gone. And I remember sitting with my mom, the day that she got word that the bank was foreclosing on the ranch that we had grown up on. And this was, my dad built that house with his own two hands. It was the, the house that all of us had been raised in, been our home for 10 years. And my mom hit the ground. And of course, I'm 13 years old and naive. I'm like, mom, we'll just go get another house. I have no clue what that meant. She's a single mom school teacher. And her credit now is shot. I had no clue what credit was. The bank took it all. We couldn't keep it up. We had to go sleep on friends' couches. Three kids. Uh, you know how humiliating that is in a tiny, small town? And I remember sitting with my mom and my mom just praying, going, God, I need you to do something. Well, there were two banks in my tiny little town. One of them had just foreclosed on us. And my mom has no credit. And out of the blue, I'm, as a kid, formative, as th- this was just huge, praying with my mom. The guy to provide we get a call from the president of the other bank that we don't know that well at all And yet he was on the school board and he knew of my mom And he said I don't care about your credit. We'll get you into a house And he stepped in knowing the situation and the bank lended us the money We bought this tiny little shack of a house that needed all this work. Our church came in we repainted the house We did all this work and I remember the first night sleeping in our house after having slept at our friend's house for weeks And just tears on all of our eyes. And going, God can do what we can't see he's up to doing. And yet we have the audacity to look at him and say, are you powerless? Where are you? Do you believe that God can provide for you? Do you believe that? I think at times we have to tell our own soul that, right? Saying, I believe this. He made a promise. Jesus made a promise that if I seek his kingdom, that he'll provide. And sometimes that provision is a job where there was no job, or it might be through the church and through friends, him just meeting your needs along the way until he he gets around to answering the prayer in his timing. And there's trust all along that. And there are many of us that have that testimony, right? But ultimately the question is, do I trust Jesus to do what he says he would do? Check out the next little passage here. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I think the first question is, do I trust God to provide? This, I think, has to do with with the thought processes we have. By the way, I'm going to make a promise to you, this is not the last time you hear me preach on this passage. It's one of my all-time favorite passages. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Paul writes, "'Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, and let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near.'" Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, it's beautiful stuff. I think my soul likes that one so, so much because I'm hungering for this peace that surpasses understanding, right? This peace that doesn't make sense. Do you know what peace makes sense? There is a peace that makes sense. Peace that makes sense is is the absence of problems, right? That makes sense that you got peace when there's no problems. Now, having said that, raise your hands if you got no problems, right? That doesn't exist on this side of heaven, which means if you're hunting for a peace that makes sense, you're hunting for something that doesn't exist. And so often we're praying, God, take away all of our problems. When God says, that's not how I roll. That's not how I provide peace. I don't take it by the subtraction of your problems. I give it through the addition of my presence into your life. And I provide a peace that doesn't make sense. That's in the middle of all the problems like every human being. This is part of the Christian witness to the world around us. It's not that we don't have problems. It's, oh, I've got problems like you've got problems. The difference is I've got peace in the middle of my problems. And the world goes, that doesn't make sense. You go, I know. I <laughs> know. I know, but something has happened within my soul that I'm not freaking out right now. And I know my situation says I should be. I know that my situation said I ought to be anxious, but I'm not. Why? Jesus. There's a a piece that that surpasses understanding that that doesn't make sense. And how do we get that? Well, he says in verse 6 that, hey, don't be anxious by anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving in your heart, present your request to God. So he's saying pray about it, but he doesn't start there. Instead, he starts back in verse 4. Look what he says to do in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you didn't get it, I'll say it again. He says, rejoice. Rejoice. See, what happens when we have worries and anxieties are that oftentimes we, we get so fixated on what we don't have. And we, we, like a record on repeat, we put that song in our head of what we don't have and it plays over and over and over and over again in our mind. And that song gets loud and the size of our problem and our worry about what's not there gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the antidote to that worry, Paul says, you want a piece that surpasses understanding is take that record off and put a new one on and instead put rejoicing on and put it on repeat. The word rejoice literally means have joy again and again and again and again. Listen to the song. And what are we supposed to rejoice in? Not rejoicing that I'm awesome. Rejoicing in the Lord, he says. So instead of focusing what we don't have and going to God out of fear about what we don't have, instead we are focusing on what we already have in the finished work of Jesus, which is mighty big. That says, I have been given a brand new identity. That I am not sitting here in the midst of my problems who I was. I have been forgiven of everything. I have been adopted by the king. My bank account is filled with God's love in heaven. I I am a new person. I have the promise of the Holy Spirit. I have the family of God. I have God with me every day. That I know that no matter the amount of shame or guilt that I carry, that's never going away. He is mine. I know I have eternal destination that is mine. I know what I have in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And the more that we rejoice in that, the more that we see that I am sitting in a mansion of blessing, how dare I cry in the mansion about my poverty of what I don't have, right? We get so fixated on what's not in there currently that we lose sight of the blessings of what already is there. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always always and rejoice put that on repeat and let it play over and over and over again what has already been accomplished for me in Jesus so if if God never answers that prayer that I'm asking for the way that I want it to happen if he never does that it still doesn't change the fact that I am stinky wealthy in Jesus Christ right That, that that doesn't change the fact that I am blessed beyond measure and that's the challenge of, of what are we repeating over and over and over again? And ultimately, what happens when we rejoice is there begins to be a gentleness that just is evident to all, and it's a gentleness that comes with confidence. God's got me. And it begins to produce within us a heart of thanksgiving. Then now, by the time I get around to praying about what I, I do need and what I'm asking for. It's with such a heart of thanksgiving that I present and petition God with my prayers, just in a deep trust of you who have already blessed me beyond measure. Here's something else. If you want to, that's cool. (laughs) If not, I trust you. And it's a peace that surpasses understanding that sets into our soul. And so this morning, maybe, maybe yours is a prayer that I just need the grace of God to help me trust in him more. Or maybe you're hearing, I need God to just remind me of what I already have in Him, that I stop focusing on what I don't have and start focusing on what I do. And then finally, look at 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Real simple. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. I love that verse. I love that verse. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's at the end of Peter's letter to the church, and he's giving some some just one-line instructions to Christians. And in the middle of all these one-line instructions, he has just this one little instruction. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Maybe this morning, above all, we just need the grace to believe that's true. Because sometimes, if we're being honest... Well, we've got this anxiety. I can tell you all about it. But I don't, I don't really want to bug Jesus. And we picture God like, like a distracted daddy in the sky. You know how many times I'm like doing something that I think is important and my kids come up to me and they're wanting to play. And I'm like, not now. Daddy's up to something important. Right? And we think God is that way. He's got big stuff he's worried about. He's not worried about me and my finances. right? He's not worried about me and my relationship. He's not worried... And so we treat God like a distracted daddy, but God is not limited in his capacity to give attention to people like a human being is powerful enough to speak creation into being he has the capacity to care about every single person in this room and not just some of your anxieties do you see it not just the big issues he doesn't say come to see me come talk to me when you got big stuff stop praying about this little stuff. no he says cast every single one of your anxieties all of your anxieties i don't care how small you think it is if it's bothering you your daddy wants to know about it right Cast all your anxieties. Why? Because he cares for you. It's not a nuisance to the King of Kings. It's not a nuisance to love on us. It's not a it's not a, a hindrance, a distraction to him. It is something that, that he sent Jesus to enable and to promise to us that we forever have the confidence that I can approach the throne at any time with any issue, big or small, and have the confidence that he cares for me. What a beautiful promise! And notice what he says, though. He doesn't just say, bring your anxieties to him. He says, cast it on him. Throw it on his shoulders. We all know the feeling of feeling weighed down by worry of what's going to happen here. And there's a way of praying that I think actually feeds that worry instead of taking care of it. Because we pray without trust. And really, we're just chronicling our problem to God, right? Right? God, do you see this? He goes, yeah, I'm just waiting for you to give it to me. (laughs) I see it quite well. You don't have to carry the burden of that issue. Cast it on me. What does that mean? When you pray, you give it to him and say, I'm tired of worrying about this thing. Come get your elephant, right? Come get it and take it away from me. I don't want to worry about this anymore. I want to trust and believe that you can do what you said you can do, that you will do what you said you will do, and in your timing it will be beautiful and it will be good, and I just want to rejoice in what I already know to be true in you, that I am walking as your child, so come get this thing. And he says, great, now cast it on me and I'll take it. And so this morning I want to end by taking him up on his word. You ever have anybody that's like, hey, I want to take you to lunch sometime? And you just say, okay. And they're kind of shocked. going, out. There was like an offer like out there someday. I didn't mean like right now. <laughs> You're like, no, let's go. You can buy me lunch. Let's go. I think that's how we sometimes treat God with his promises. Hey, I'll take all your anxieties. Okay. How about now? He goes, yeah, right now. Let's do it. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. All around this room, I'm going to invite some volunteers that I have station to to come up as a prayer team. And we're going to go into a time of worship, and we're going to cast our anxieties on God, big or small. If the Holy Spirit is putting something on your heart that is there, it's time to deal with it. You remember the story in the New Testament where the friends take apart the roof, and they lower their friend on a mat and a rope before Jesus's feet? To me, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of praying for somebody, right? Of hey God I'm going to bring this friend for you And here's the beauty about the church Is that we are not called to walk This road alone And oftentimes anxiety and worry sets in When we feel alone but church you are never Alone And so we're going to Sometimes those elephants need some help to wrestle them out of our soul Right we need, we need somebody to go in there with us And say yeah And so all around the room we're going to have from From the stage all the way around We're going to have men and women um, That It'll be obvious because you're sitting down there standing up, but <laughs> you're going to stand up and worship. They'll have lanyards on. And they, they just want to pray for you. They just want to pray for you. So you're going to have to set down your own pride and your own worry, whatever, who cares about any of that. If you've got anxieties there, if you've got worries there, if you've got stuff that, that, that are history there, if you've got hurts there, if you've got disappointments there, and God is dealing with you in this time, then step up and just ask somebody to pray for you. And be blessed, and it'd be their, their joy to do it. As we just worship and we rejoice what is ours and we're just the church together and we're just going to take God up on his offer. He says, cast your anxieties. We're going to help Jesus, uh, help each other cast our anxieties on Jesus. Make sense? Make sense? All right, stand up with me and let's pray. Prayer team, if you would begin to make yourself all all around the room, in the back of the room, on the side of the rooms, you'll see him standing there. You make your way to them. We're going to be here for a while just worshiping in this. So make your way up, Father. We come to you and are thankful that you are King, and we are awed that you, as King, would call us your child. And we just find it beautiful, God, that you, um, that you would stir in in such a way that that you would tell us that we can come to you with anything and trust that you care about it and that we can trust that you have the ability to to meet that need, whatever it is. And there are many people in this room now, God, who just are struggling with, with believing that. And so today, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that, Holy Spirit, you would stir in such a way that the weight of that worry would be lifted and in this place would be a peace that just transcends understanding that you are in control and you are good and you are involved. So God, we come to you. In worship, we come to you.